Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice it's like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall down, because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Most of us will know people who struggle to make decisions, big decisions. Um, most of us will know people who have been dating a partner. Perhaps I don't need to be too loud. Uh, we'll know somebody who's been dating a partner for the last decade or so, and yet they're not quite sure, am I going to ask this person to marry me or not? It's only been a decade, I can't be sure. Maybe they've taken a few extra years in university, and they've uh, changed the, the focus of their studies three, four, five times, and they're still maybe a, a couple years off from finishing. Or maybe they go to different careers, uh, spend a few years doing one thing, study to be in another field, and, and just keep hopping around, because they're just not sure where God's calling them to put a, a kind of Christian veneer on it. And maybe that person is you. 
maybe you struggle to make big decisions. I don't know why, but for me, I, I've never really struggled with the big decisions. It's usually with the small decisions. So I, I can decide who I want to marry, what job I want to do, whether I want to move uh, across the world pretty easily. But when it comes to which restaurant to go to, or how to spend a day off, or even just what to watch on Netflix, I can scroll for an hour before bed and then realize now it's too late to watch anything, and so I just turn it off. I do that often. Why am I, I so um, silly? I'm paralyzed by indecision, whether it's the big decisions we make or the small ones. Sometimes I think we can be paralyzed with indecision because of the vast range of options that stand before us. I get a culture shock every time I go back to the States. I go to a grocery store and I see a huge aisle with every cereal known to man in it. And I find it difficult to choose. My, my wife doesn't send me grocery shopping anymore because I'll go, I'll spend a few hours there, I'll come back with a bunch of stuff that doesn't make any one coherent meal. <laughs> and um, she stopped me shopping online as well, recent, uh, well, not too recently, a few years ago, when she found I was reading the reviews for the loo roll. Why do I need to know the reviews for the loo roll? I don't know, but I have trouble making those small decisions. And I'd happily allow others to do it for me. But whether we struggle with the big or the small decisions in life, the problem is often too many choices, which is why I think it's wonderfully refreshing that here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a very clear decision to make with only two options. There's only two options. And he says, now choose the right one. It's wonderfully simple. Uh, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been showing us what life and community is like under his rule. He's showing us uh, what it's like when his revolutionary kingdom comes and people become a part of it. He's spoken about who's blessed and what righteousness looks like and what difference it makes to know God as our Father. And here in the last half of chapter 7, Jesus does what all good preachers do. He calls us to action. You know, in case you weren't paying attention, in case you somehow missed this, then listen now, this is what you must do. And he boils it all down to a series of, of binary choices. There are only two destinations, so choose eternal life in Christ. There are only two ways to live, and so choose faithful obedience to Christ. There are only two foundations to build your life upon, so choose a life built on Christ. Now that's where we're going. So if, if you've been here in previous weeks, this is what Jesus has been building to. If you haven't been with us many of the, the past month and a half or so, well, you came for the summary, the, the revision lesson at the end of the sermon. So well done for being here for this. And the first thing we see is that there are only two destinations, and so we should choose eternal life in Christ, verses 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, 
and only a few find it. So there's a, a small gate and a narrow road that leads to life. There's a, a wide gate and a broad road that leads to destruction. And Jesus' advice is go to the one that leads to life. Wonderfully simple, isn't it? And when you put it like that, when you see the destinations that these roads are heading to, it is wonderfully simple. And yet, Jesus says, most people are going down the broad road and willfully choosing the broad road that leads to destruction, even after they've heard his warning. Why is that? Well, how many of you have ever been spelunking down into a cave? Explored a cave? Anyone? Few? Okay. Handful of people? Well, not long after Catherine and I got married, we um, went on holiday to Bristol to visit her um, old stomping grounds for university, but then also to see her cousin who lived in Bristol at the time. And uh, he suggested that we take a day trip down an abandoned limestone mine. Okay, so it had been barred up, but some of the some people had cut the bars, and he knew of it. He had been down there before, and so we decided to go with him. Now, you should know this guy is not the most sensible person. He, he studied for a PhD in Cambridge, but he spent most of his adult life living in a van or in anarchist squats uh, after that point. So, you know, not necessarily the guy you, you want to follow into an abandoned mine, but we chose to do it. And we trusted him to take us into this underground maze. And so we went down, we wandered through these seemingly endless paths, lots of twists and turns. We squeezed through tiny, inconspicuous openings, and we eventually stopped to eat our lunch in this massive room that probably two or three times the size of this building, actually, in height. And at the top, there were small holes with light beaming through in the, the noonday sun kind of shining through. It was like a cathedral being in there. It was really, it was really pretty great. But it was after lunch when we decided to head out that the problem started because we realized, or he realized, because he was the one that was the guide, I'm not quite sure which way we came in anymore. <laughs> and therefore, how we are going to get out. You know, we, we took a few wrong turns and we found ourselves coming back into the cathedral-like room and we were thinking, uh, this was nice the first time, but maybe not so much this time. Um, we went down some paths and saw dead ends. We were at it for maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Catherine was beginning to freak out. I was freaking out, but not letting anybody know. I was trying to remain calm in the situation. And um, although there were dozens of pathways in that mine, there was only really one that was going to get us back out in the sun, back out uh, to live our lives. For all intents and purposes, there were two paths. Many paths that would lead to a death underground without anybody knowing where we were, because I hadn't told anybody where we were going. Again, foolish. And the one that led back out into the sunshine. And as you can see, we made it out. So, whew, take a sigh of relief with that. But just imagine, if we had decided to pick 
the easiest path in that mind system, the, the largest one. I don't really like crawling in dirt. I don't really like squeezing down narrow passages. And so I'll just go through this broad path and follow it wherever it goes. It certainly would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? And yet it would have resulted in death because the one path that got us outside involves squeezing through narrow passages. And more than anything, we wanted to live. So that made navigating the cave a lot more difficult because there was actually only one way to get out. We had to crawl and squeeze and slide through. And we made sure we didn't lose focus along the way and, and take any more wrong turns. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying here. It, we may not be able to tell where each path in life leads from our perspective, because there seem to be a lot of paths, a lot of people saying, follow this way to life. But from Jesus' perspective, as the one who knows the way to life because he created life, he gives eternal life, all paths lead to the same destination, destruction, apart from his. You know, people might feel comfortable on them. People, in fact, might invite their friends to follow along, but they're just headed deeper into the cave, further from the sun's light. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gates. Go on the small path, because it leads to life. It's a more difficult path, but it's worth it, because we want to live, don't we? So just to be perfectly clear, what is the narrow gates? It's Jesus himself. He says by putting our faith in him, we enter the door to eternal life. Elsewhere in John's gospel, he says, I am the door. We enter through him to eternal life. Every other door leads to destruction, says Jesus. A lot of people think that's pretty narrow, don't they? A lot of people think, why can't we enter through Buddha? Why can't we, we enter through Muhammad? Why can't we just enter through our own kind of internal spiritual sense? I know what feels right. Jesus is too exclusive, people think. But Jesus isn't being exclusive. Uh, he's being specific. If we want life, that's the way to life. And we can follow whichever path we want, but that's the way to life. He sees where every other door leads. He wants us to live. So he says, enter through me. And what is the narrow road then? What is the difficult pathway that we have to follow? It's the way of life Jesus is describing in the Sermon on the Mount all throughout. You know, we saw what true light or what true righteousness is. We saw what dependence on our Heavenly Father looks like. It's a life of humility rather than hypocrisy. It's a life of, of righteousness rather than self-righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus and, and try to live the way that he said to live, we walk the narrow way. And so just to make it perfectly clear, there is no third option. Do you see? Jesus doesn't give us a third option. Every way 
apart from mine leads to destruction, my way leads to life. And so if you leave here today uncertain which path you're on, then be certain you're on the broad way. Because you don't stumble onto the narrow way. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen without a conscious decision to place one's faith in Christ, to walk the way that Christ has set. And unless you do that, you're in danger. So there are two ways to live. Choose life. There are two ways to live. Choose faithful obedience, Jesus says in the next section. Some will be thinking, yeah, I agree with that. That's why I'm here in church. Right? I made that decision a long time ago to follow Jesus. But it's important um, for Christians here to hear what Jesus says next. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now this is where those of us who've been attending church for decades might need to sit up and, and take some notice. Because up to this point, perhaps we thought Jesus was talking only to non-believers, but think about who he's speaking the Sermon on the Mount to. At the beginning of chapter 5, we read that he sat down, began to teach those who were following him. So these are people who've already, in some sense, begun to follow Jesus. And he's saying to them, you're in danger too. Verses 15 to 23 warn of those who appear to be great followers of Jesus Christ, those who cast out demons, those who do mighty spiritual works, those who've had great spiritual experiences and shared them with others. And they, they look like one of the faithful sheep to the casual observer. And yet Jesus says, these are predatory wolves. These people appear to be faithful Christians, even Christian leaders. And verse 22 suggests they even fool themselves. So the question has to be asked, how can we know who's a true follower and who is not? Well, Jesus speaks of good trees and bad trees, of good fruit and bad fruit, but I think that the clearest statement of what Jesus means is in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? Only those who do the will of God the Father. Now, those who speak well of Jesus will not enter eternal life. Those who hear what he has to say and dismiss him will not enter eternal life. Only those who do the will of the Father, says Jesus. And so, what is the Father's will? How do we do it? That's the important question. If that's the only way we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, what is it that's the Father's will? 
people. We know we don't have to be super spiritual. We don't have to do amazing good deeds. Because he says in verse 22, many will say to me, didn't we prophesy in your name and, and drive out demons and perform many miracles? So he's not looking for uh, good works. They're not looking for super spiritual people. That's not what it looks like to be in the will of the Father. People who say, Lord, Lord, I've given so much money to charity. I, I've told so many people about Jesus. I've been on every rota at Resurrection Church. He may say on that day to some of them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. How devastating that would be. Utterly devastating. Jesus' point is this, however many good works we do, we're only able to do the Father's will when we are known by the Son. In other words, when we have a relationship with Jesus. Apart from Christ, sin poisons everything. You can, do, you, you can lead the most moral life, you can do uh, the most fantastic good works, and yet if you don't know Christ, you do it of the wrong motives. And it's not in the will of the Father. It has the nature of sin. Apart from Christ, sin poisons everything, even our good deeds. Such that Jesus calls us evildoers if we try to do good deeds without knowing him. Because we do them for sinful reasons. We do them to, to impress others, to build ourselves up, to, to relieve our own guilt. But when we know Jesus and are known by him, then we can truly do the will of the Father. Here's how Jesus puts it in uh, John's Gospel. In chapter 6, he says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And that's what the will of the Father is. It's that we be saved, that we find life, that we enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't will that anybody should perish. But how do we get that? How do we enter his will? By believing in the Lord Jesus, and having a restored relationship with him, by being known by him. Now, the surest way to figure out which path we're on the one to life or the one to destruction, is to ask, am I doing the Father's will? Am I believing in Jesus? Am I faithfully obeying Jesus? You know, we can say, I believe in Jesus and then live our own way, but if we believe in Jesus, we'll honor him with the way we live. We'll seek to obey him in his commands. And you know, we'll, we'll falter, we'll fail. Of course we will. I do. But are we trying to follow him? And when we fail, are we depending on his forgiveness, on his grace? Or are we simply saying, Lord, Lord? And lastly, there are only two foundations for life. Choose to build your life on Christ. Jesus wants to assure us that Faith in him and our efforts to faithfully obey him will have an impact. And it, it's not just going to be at the final judgment. Up to this point, you might have thought, 
well, this is, this is great for when I die, but what about living life now? And Jesus says, it'll make a difference in your life now if you obey me. Verse 24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus not only prepares us for life after death, but he's showing us the best way to live life now. The best way to have life before death. We're going to meet trouble in this life, says Jesus. Now, there is no question of that. Some of us will know that very well indeed. It might be literal rain or, or floods and typhoons, but more likely it's going to be an illness, a job loss, the death of a loved one. Jesus never promises to keep us from those things. But he does promise us that if we build our lives on his teaching, if we obey him and believe him, then we'll be able to bear those things in life. We'll be able to forgive people who've hurt us because we'll know what it's like to be forgiven by God. We'll be able to cope with the loss of material things because we've stored up our treasures in heaven. We'll be able to face death without fear because we've entered the narrow gate that leads to life. And the trials that we face, however harsh they might be, they cannot destroy a life built on Christ's teaching. But if we reject his teaching, he, he says, those who hear the words of mine and don't put them into practice. If we don't build our lives on him as our foundation, we can be sure that we will fall flat when trials come. And you know, we might not notice the difference when the weather's good, when life is going well. You know, our non-Christian neighbors are probably doing just fine right now. But when the crisis hits, watch out. When a friend dies, when a spouse leaves, when a job ends, when a terminal diagnosis comes, that's when we see how important the foundation is. Only when the storms hit. Don't be found building on sand when the storms hit. When the floods come. So in closing, See how gracious Jesus is and giving us a clear choice to make and only two options. Two destinations, eternal life, destruction. Choose life. If you choose to believe, choose faithful obedience because all who try to fool themselves will be dismissed at the judgment. And if you choose the path to life, 
If you choose faithful obedience, rest assured, be at peace. Because when the storms come, when the floods rise, your house is going to stand. Your life is going to be preserved. Nothing can destroy a life built on Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to see the choices you lay out and to choose wisely. I pray that those of us going through the storms right now, that you would preserve them as they built their life on you. That they would know through all of it that you will see that they enter eternal life in your kingdom. And to those on the fence, Lord, I pray that you would convict and convince them to follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.